Basically, all I'm full of right now is Pepsi. Uh, <clears throat> call it product placement. Try not to spill this. So, uh, yeah, we had a great week down in Dayton. Uh, destination spot of America. That's what they like to call it down there. Uh, anyway, I wanted to, we finished talking about First Peter, and I want to talk about waiting today. Waiting. I can see the excitement on your faces right now already. Well, you're waiting. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I don't know if, if, if you're me, but, but waiting is my kryptonite. Anybody else feel like that? Like waiting? Like wait, wait, waiting in restaurants for the meal? Uh, waiting on customer service? Isn't customer service sometimes like an oxymoron? <laughs> uh, waiting for your significant other to get ready? Uh, my significant other isn't here, so I can say that. Uh, traffic, when you're a kid, Christmas, right? That was a, that's always a good one. Christmas just seemed like it, the world slowed down and ground to a stop when we were coming close to it. Uh, grocery lines, I don't, what is it? What is it? I'm, I'm serious. Follow me around. Whatever grocery line I get into, it will just stop. Like, the, they have to call the, you know, the, like, the, the computer guys to come. There's something wrong with my computer system. I moved to the next one. And it, you ever do that when you're driving? You know, you, the, the, that lane stops until you move over. And with me, whatever lane I go to, it stops. And uh, how many of you feel like that? Waiting is hard, really. Nobody else, the rest of you, are just so virtuous. You don't care. Is that, you're either really virtuous or you don't care. Well, how about if I told you, if I, if I said that, I'm going to give you the secret of learning to wait. How many would, would you like to know the secret of learning to wait patiently? I got nothing for you. <laughs> you came to the wrong sermon. Uh, I wish I could, but I am going to talk about waiting. I'm going to talk about waiting on God. And we're going to look at a, a, a passage that, that in some circles is pretty familiar from the Old Testament where where. God says, if you wait on me, amazing things will happen. And, I'm, and it just says, like, things pivot when you wait on me. Not just when you wait, but when you wait on him. Uh, customer service departments are always trying to minimize the waiting experience, or, you know, minimize the wait we have and make it so that that weight that we're experiencing isn't miserable. There was a bank, I think it was in Chicago, uh, this is a long time ago, this was a breakthrough back then, but they, you know, they did their best to try to minimize the wait time, and, you know, at a certain point you can't have 30 cashiers or tellers waiting uh, just by themselves with no one, you know, coming in line, and so, they did all the calculations, and they got it down, employees to the right number. And what they decided to do was just to put a feed, a news feed up on a, on a TV screen. And what they found was, they, uh, they did a survey before and afters. People were, were not happy about having to wait in line when they went to the bank. Once they put that monitor up, people, now nothing changed in terms of how fast the lines moved or how many people were waiting on them. Everything was the same, but people thought that they had hired more people, that there were more lines. People thought that they changed their uh, computer processing system that helped everything to work smoother because people were distracted. 
okay? In, in Houston, my hometown, uh, this is how smart the people are down there. In the airport, people would complain about the weight for your baggage. You ever got off your plane, you go down there, you know, the turnstile, you're standing there, it's just turning, there's nothing on it. You're just looking, oh, am I at the right one? You know, and it says your, your uh, flight number on the screen, and you're did they lose all of our bags, a whole plane of bags? I've actually thought that. There's been times. Well, you know what they did in Houston? They, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. They took the baggage claim for certain wings, and they pushed the baggage claim way further away from the terminal. And so people had to walk a lot further, and their complaints went down. They thought that the baggage service had improved. It hadn't improved at all. It came to the turnstile the exact same amount of time as it did before, but it was just further away, and the people were distracted on the way, right? Uh, well, God's goal is not to distract you. His goal is to engage you. And waiting is a way that God uses to engage us, to connect us with Him. And in Isaiah 40... Verse 31, I'm going to read the verse to you. Now, if you, if you have a Bible with you, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, because we're going to read a few verses around this in a second. But I want to just tell you the point of this. So, Isaiah 40, 31, this is one of those bumper sticker verses. This is one of those refrigerator magnet verses. This is one of those verses that most people have heard who spend almost any amount of time around church. Those who hope or wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not faint. And it, when it says those who hope or wait in the Lord will renew their strength, the word renew means it, it has a whole range of meaning, but it's just it's a beautiful word. And it means to revive, to flourish, to gain new strength. It means to sprout like buds. Now, that may look funny for us to do that, but for a plant to go from being brown and dry and barren to suddenly, out of season, grow buds you know, of flowers and leaves. And it also means to change for the better. So, to be renewed is something we experience when we learn to wait on God. And I'll tell you what that word wait means, too. That's a really cool word. It's got a really descriptive meaning. I'll explain it in a second. But I want to go back now, and I want to read the larger context. So, so go back up to verse 27, and let's read this together. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary, and they'll walk and not be faint. So when the context of this promise, if you wait on God, he'll renew your strength, is Israel has 
been in a struggle, and without going to all the details of that, the background, they're just in exile. It's been a long time. In some ways, they feel like God's forgotten them. And so they, at the beginning of this, there's God speaking to Israel and saying, why do you think that your way is hidden from the Lord and that he has disregarded your cause? And what happens is when we face struggles, we start questioning God. And the, the, the pressure of life, what it does is it like it goes to the bottom of the toothpaste tube and it squeezes and all of the worst ideas we have about who God is come out. And we, we think suddenly God's changed or God's not who we thought he was. That's what happens to us. When we experience things that stress us, which... Huh, you know, is the time that you don't want to have to wait because who wants to stay longer in a stressful situation? But when we're in those situations, like Israel here, they ask, God, where are you? You know, are you even noticing me? Do you even care about me? And what, it, what the prophet does is he says, don't you know? Haven't you heard? And then he describes God. So when, when we're facing stress, one of the first things we have to do is recognize these really unworthy ideas of who God is, they, they come to the surface. And it's not bad that they come to the surface. All the time people will talk to me and, and they'll, they'll, they'll want to talk about something that they're struggling with and they'll make an apology. I'm sorry I'm going to tell you this. And I go, why are you sorry? Isn't it true? <laughs> yeah. And even if it's something bad, is it true? Yeah. Then let's face it. Let's own it. It, it only gets better when we face you know, reality. Again, that's the whole idea that a lot of people uh, outside the church don't get about following Jesus is you have to face reality if you follow Jesus. He is not a dodge. <laughs> He's not an escape from reality. If you follow Jesus, you walk into reality. He will walk you into it because he wants to walk you into it and walk you through it. He wants you to live in it because the, the, the weird thing is it's this inverted thing. Like Christians, like imagine we're, we're a fishbowl here. And people, all these walls are transparent and people see us. Outside, they look in at believers, at you, where you live, work, play, and learn. And they go, you're dodging reality. You're faking it until you make it. Now, you may be as a believer. Some believers do that. Some teachings, some strands of teaching in the church encourage people to do that. That's not good. But Jesus constantly engaged people and helped them to face the real world they lived in and helped them to experience him breaking into the real world that was overwhelming to them. Because this is what happens is when people get overwhelmed by something, they, dis they dissociate from it. They, they try to distract themselves to it, right? That's what we we're talking about, waiting. I want to distract myself when I'm waiting at the line. It's not really a distraction to look at a news feed when you're in line at the bank. It is a distraction and a bad distraction to look at your phone when you're driving your car. Please remember that. Every day, I see people driving. I think they're watching Netflix. I, I can't read and drive. So I don't think people are reading and driving. I think they're watching TV. I don't know what they're doing. Playing chess. But that's a distraction. That's bad. If you really take what Jesus said over and over and you really digest it, He's saying, man, the real world is an awesome place to live. It's hard, 
But if you'll look to me, I'll help you thrive in it. That's what this says. When you wait, when you stop and you engage God, and you wait on Him, not just wait, because you have to wait all the time. You don't have any choice, right? There's no virtue when you walk into the bank and you have to wait. But how you respond to it is a, is, can become virtuous. You can grow from that. And when, when he says waiting on the Lord here, he's talking to people who feel like the last thing I want to do is wait. That's why they're asking this question. I've been waiting. Nothing is happening. Where's God? How long do I have to wait? Is God really there? That's what those kinds of questions come up in all of our minds. Every one of us that are sitting here and all these of you who are at home. So he says to them, don't you know, haven't you heard? He's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary, and his understanding is limitless. Unlike us, he shares his strength with the weak. So what he says to them is they live in a world of many gods. There, there was Molech. There was every kind of god you can think of in the ancient world, and, and there are today in many cultures. There's, there, they, uh, they have a pluralistic religious context, and so do we. Even if we don't have temples with idols in them, we still have temples, secular temples, that we look to for the answers to you know, our, the questions of our lives. And that's not altogether bad, but those temples can only answer so many questions. I'd I, I love to get into this sometime. It's not going to be really what I want to talk about today, but okay. <laughs> Somebody else wanted to preach. The, the promises that science makes to us, a, a number of them are really important and really helpful and, and really crucial. And science is part of God's project. But science can become a God. It can overpromise. But science can't tell you why we're here. Science can't answer the big questions. For sure, it can't answer the questions of should we care about immigrants. It can't. In fact, if, if you take some of science's pronouncements, we shouldn't care about immigrants because they're weak. And if we're just a process, if we're the product of an uh, a mindless evolutionary process, the strong need to survive. Immigrants are weak. We don't need to care about them. That's the conclusion that, that some people say. Now, people who I think are you know, thoughtful people, and science is full of thoughtful people, they won't go that far. Some will. There are people who actually absolutely say that. There, there's a, an ethicist at Princeton who says that Babies are no more, human babies are no more important than ants or something else. They, they, they have no more value. They have no more intrinsic value or worth. We should be able to kill them like we kill ants because that's the way it is. And this is an ethicist, you know, at an Ivy League school. And science, that, that's what many, many people who are appalled at that don't believe in Jesus live off of the legacy of Judeo-Christian values that have permeated our culture and say that, no, children are valuable, immigrants are valuable, elderly people are valuable. I want you to remember this. As I get older, I want to keep saying this to you. Take care of older people, all right? We're going to start preaching about that regularly in our church. But seriously, we're, we, 
In a world where there's no ultimate value or meaning, why should we expend limited resources on people who don't serve any purpose anymore? I can tell you why. Because they're made in the image of God. Period. Even if they're my enemy, they're made in the image of God, and they deserve love and, and, and respect and care. So science can't teach you that. And I'm telling you, some people, you might argue with me, science can't teach me that. I'm, I, I can show 